Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given on Sunday morning, June 13th, 2021 by Tom Job from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and Colossians chapter 1. I wanted to do something, if I could, a little bit different. I just wanted to talk about something that's kind of on my heart and... Uh, is that okay? I just, I think there's, um, you know, I think it's just, it's coming out of, like it's kind of being, like the fact that we're back here again, you know, we're back inside here. And when we were down at the park, it was, you know, cause like we were preaching down at the park and people that would walk would be like, what are they doing? That is like the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Well, the last time Lee did one down there, there was a woman who filmed like the whole thing. She was on the sidewalk on her phone because she's like, what are these people doing? But it wasn't so weird for me because I mean, when we were missionaries, I, I wound up doing that a lot. Like I worked with two guys who, they had been trained in Britain about how to share the message of Jesus like out in public places, using a drawing board in a way that people would listen to you. And I was like, I will never, I will drop dead before I do that. And um, I, I died a million times doing it, but but it was like super awesome because you could go, we would go into parks and big piazzas and you, and we would set up this drawing board. You'd gather like five or six people or seven or eight people. And then you would turn around and start telling them like some jokes, just talking in your normal voice, like just, you know, some jokes and stuff. And then it would turn into maybe 40 people. And then you do like a young life talk, like a story about Jesus and how you can know Jesus, you know, and 40 people would turn into 80 people, 140 people, 250 people just standing around there listening to it. One night we did a, that uh, a lot of the Christians in the churches in Milano, they decided that they wanted to put their money together and get like a famous evangelist, a wonderful person named Luis Palau. And they rented a big sports arena and they were going to try to get um, like, I think, 300 people a night, they spent $10,000, 300 people a night to come to it, knowing that probably 80% of them would already know Jesus and 20% wouldn't, but then maybe by the end of three nights, they would have been able to reach like 200 people. And during that time, we went out to the main Piazza Milano with our sketchboard and we did four like messages with that sketchboard, about 250 a piece. And so we reached like a thousand people and didn't spend any money, you know? We were, I don't know, maybe kind of smug about it. There used to be a place we'd go on Saturdays, on Sunday afternoons, we would go to a park, Parco Lambro in Milano. And it was like, like, it was where the city tried to confine the heroin addiction. Like everybody in the park was basically a heroin addict. Like it was one of the 10 most drug, places in the world. Parco Lumber was in a news magazine that said that. And so if we had like 80 people listening, you'd get less people in the park. But if you had 80 people, 60 of them would be heroin addicts. And so one time my, my buddy Dave, he was given his, his message and had a pretty good crowd. And there was, a, I was in the back and there was two guys and one of them said, Hey, let's, let's get out of here. And the other guy said, no, I, I got something I want to say. And the guy was like, come on, let's go. He said, no, I'm going to say something. And I was like, e what, you know, what's he going to say? And then uh, when Dave was done, that guy walked straight up to him and said, I need to say something. And he said, uh, what? And he said, you come here to this park where people like us, and you tell us about Jesus, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I was like, super glad. <laughs> when we lived in, the last city we lived in was in Bergamo, and one, our neighbors, the Valsecchis, 
Um, Emily's best friend was Marina Valsecchi. And so, but they knew we were some kind of Protestant something, and I was, but they didn't know. And sometimes they'd see the sketchboard go in and out, and, the, you know, and I was like, don't ask. But then one time we, did a, we had a bunch of young people, we did a big evangelization in the, in the historical center of town on a Sunday afternoon. And I was giving a message to, I had a really good crowd, and I looked out there, and there was the Senora Valsecchi in that crowd, her eyes were like this big. She's like, this is what you do. But they, uh, but one thing about it is like, you had to have what they, in Italian, they call it a faccia tosta, which means this isn't weird. Like you have to, you have to be like, you're so bold. Like, you know, this is not weird at all. This is like super normal. In fact, if you think this is weird, you're weird. You know, you just have to like give it, you know? But then I would go home in the evening and I would think, what did you just do? Like, what? that was crazy. I can't believe you did this. And the, but sometimes I feel that way here. Like I'll, I'll, like before we, you know, before the coronavirus and all that stuff, I did, I would all, after 25 years, I'd still have times where I go home in the afternoon and just say, you just yapped your yapper to like a big bunch of people like for like 25 or 30 minutes that is so weird like why what are you doing you know and I think about it and now that we're back here and I just have had it on my heart like what are we doing here like what like if you think about it it's a little bit it can be a little bit weird like what like we come in here and Lee and everybody tries to get us to sing songs, like stand up and sing songs. And I mean, get into it, clap your hands, lift your hands, close your eyes, get into this. Where else do you do that? Like, where else do you get with a bunch of people and sing songs together? And you would think it's a little bit weird when you think about it. But the, and then, so why do we do that? Well, the reason we do it is because like the Holy, there's like Psalm 95 and hundreds of other places sing, say, sing to the Lord, all y'all, like shout to God, like do this thing, sing to God, worship him and praise him. It says it like hundreds of times in the scriptures, get together and sing and praise the Lord. And so the reason we do it is because like the Holy Scriptures are, um, it's like, a, it's like a miraculous collection of revealed mysteries and mind-blowing stories and instructions from the manufacturer who knows how this life works because he made it all. And like one person said, like the, uh, so like, like God invented music, somebody said, music helps you feel an emotion. Words help you think a thought. A song helps you think, feel a thought. And so like, and you're just singing about God is good and he loves me. And we get together because he tells us to and we're just obeying him with other people who want to obey him. And we sing those things to God. And then when you do go through a time that's dark and scary and tough, you know how to do it. You know how to praise God in those times because you've trained your body and your brain to do it. And so, you know, and then you think about like we have, like before the singing time, we have things called community groups, but it's just like times when people get together, which there's a lot of times during the week where different people get together, community groups, but other groups at other times, some of them formal, some of them informal, but it's just where you get together on a more personal basis and share maybe, you're, you're, maybe where you're struggling or um, maybe, like where the well, like it says in the scriptures, where you bear each other's burdens, or you pray for one another, or maybe even sometimes confess your sins to one another. Like I'm really struggling with something, and with people that I can trust. There was a guy named Keith Miller who, in the 1970, like about 1970, wrote a book 
called A Taste of New Wine, and it was about experiences that he had had with Alcoholics Anonymous in the 12-step program. And he was like, why don't we do this in churches, like where people meet together. They share their struggles on a personal basis, who are all going through the same struggle, and they share their encouragement, strength, and hope. And why don't churches do this? Well, anyway, Christianity Today said that was one of the 50 most important books of the last 100 years, that Keith Miller was basically personally responsible for the small group movement in Christian churches and community groups, life groups, whatever you want to call it. But I, everything I learned about AA, a lot of the stuff I learned about AA and 12-step and groups, a lot of it I learned from Spence Ferguson, who used to go to church here, but he goes to church in heaven now. But, um, he, uh, but Spence was in AA for 40 years, and he just taught me so much about it. He started the AA meeting in, um, here on the east end of town years and years ago. Um, and so one Sunday, between the community group time and the singing time, Keith Miller was sitting right there in that chair. And I was like, are you Keith Miller? And he's like, how do you know? And I said, I've read all your books. I've seen your face for years. I'd know you anywhere. What are you doing here? And he said, oh, I came, uh, I came to see a friend. Do you know Spence Ferguson? And I said, yeah. How do you know Spence? He said, well, Spence was a real friend to me at a time when I needed a friend. I was like, Holy cow. But anyway, so that's why we do that stuff. And uh, why do we do what we do? You know, but I think about like, so I've just been thinking a little bit about kind of my own part in this. Like, why do I do, like, what am I doing? You know, usually if you have like, if you talk to young pastors and you're like, what are you doing? And they, and they'll say, I'm building a church. I'm trying to start a church. A lot of times young pastors, not all of them, but what they have in mind, they have their launch date. You know, we were starting, we were planting churches in Italy and that's where you like lead drug addicts and people in the mafia to Jesus, you know, and then try to get them to come to your house and start a Bible study. They said, oh, we're gonna plant a church. We have a launch date. Launch, launch date, <laughs> what the heck? But, they, but anyway, and usually they, they, I mean, not all the time, but they want it to be something, you know, big and exciting and, and um, a big church, and so, and a lot, and so, and the, the way you measure that is like, it's easy to measure because you're, it measure, you measure it in um, like how big a building are you gonna build and how big a budget are you gonna get and how many people do you have in attendance at your church? Like the way, pa the way pastors talk about it, I guess you'd call it pastor speak. They'll say, how many are you running on Sunday? And I was like, running, right, what? How many people do you have in attendance on Sunday? How many are you running? It sounds like cattle farming. I don't know what, <laughs> but, but, but you can basically measure that stuff. We always say you measure it in um, bricks, bucks, and butts. Like how many bricks, you know, how big is your building? How many bucks in your budget? And how many rear ends sit in the seat in your church? You know, but Paul, the way Paul thought about his life and the way I've always thought about my life, like Paul said, what I'm trying to do is build people. And like he said, I want to facilitate to the extent that people will let me. He said in 2 Corinthians 11, I want to bring everyone to pure devotion to Christ. 
like it, and almost the way people, the way he talked about it, the way people feel on their wedding day to, for each other. I want everybody to feel that way about Jesus. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm having, a, I'm in labor. I'm like having a baby. I'm having labor pains until I see Jesus in your life. And I was like, and in Colossians chapter one, he said, I want to present every person mature in Jesus. That's my goal. And I think, how do you measure that? Like, how do you know that everybody who, because people have to buy into that too. I mean, they have to let you try to do it and they have to, they, you can't make people, but I think like, I would feel like to the extent that anyone would let, let me help them, I would want to feel like what, what I want to do is I want to help every, myself first and then everybody else become more and more like Jesus and then loving Jesus and then like loving Jesus. And then, you know, like I would like to help people that would let me learn to be loving like Jesus, like to love people the way Jesus did, being like him, loving him and loving like him because because there's an invisible kingdom in all of the world that's growing. It's growing every day. And every day people are coming into it and people that are into it are moving further into it. And it's primarily when they see something in someone that they've never seen before. Like when they see someone loving with, um, with the love of Jesus. And that's why the world continues to turn is that this kingdom is growing in all countries and and I want to be I want to be a part of that like and I don't know how we're doing right now to tell you the honest truth like what how like the evangelicals are doing and like in our country last Sunday I was in a I was in a meeting and it was a meeting it was, a, it was a Zoom meeting, which I totally, I hope it's the last one I ever do in my life, but it was everybody in all the religious communities that are involved in helping bridge refugee services, which is a government-funded um, organization that helps refugees coming from persecution and war-torn areas of the world who get admitted as refugees into the United States and helping them and welcoming them and just, you know. And there was the head of the Islamic community of Knoxville was in the meeting, and there was a rabbi from the Jewish community in the meeting, and there was a Hindu woman who's in Knoxville government, and she was in the meeting. And there were people from the Baha'i religion, and there were people, a lot of Unitarians, and a lot of Catholics. And the only ones that I would call evangelicals, there was an African-American woman from a predominantly African-American Baptist church, and me. And I thought, where is everybody? Like. I know there are other churches that are involved, but I was like, where are our people? What has happened? And I, one time, I was talking to the director of Bridge, Drusella, who's an amazing person. She came from um, the Congo, I believe. And, but she, and uh, she said, Tom, she said, we, there, we have never had this few churches helping us. There are 250 Christian churches in Knox County, 20 something help us. It's never been like this. And I said, why, why is it? And she said, because Christians are afraid. They're afraid of foreigners. They're afraid of refugees. She said, I'm Catholic, you're Protestant. We both love Jesus. What are they afraid of? 
And I said, I don't know. I have no idea. You know, like to say that you're an evangelical, it comes from the Greek word euangelion, which uh, they used to talk 100 years ago about the evangel. And it means the good news, the good news of Jesus, the good news that you can have a new heart, you could have a new, you could be a new you. It's good news for every nation, every nationality, every ethnicity, every race, every culture, across all of centuries. But something has happened to that word so that if you say you're an evangelical, it's gotten a political meaning. And I don't know how it happened, but if you say you're an evangelical, half of the people will think, oh, that means you're a person who votes like me. And the other half will think, oh, you're a person who doesn't like people like me. And it doesn't mean any of that. And some, I don't know, like I'm an evangelical in the classic sense that I live for the evangel. And I, I, but, I but, but for the sake of the evangel, I don't know if I can call myself one anymore. I'm just a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus that is growing in the world. And I belong to everyone in that kingdom from all nations and all nationalities and all ethnicities and all races and all cultures and countries and across all centuries who love and believe in the Savior King. And I feel like I'm in a place like right now where I want to be like, I want, like I believe that Jesus, like the, the Jesus that the ancient documents talk about the ancient scriptures talk about, I believe he's alive. And I believe when the ancient scriptures talk about the way he died, I believe that he died specifically for me. And I believe that he did it to have me, and I want him to have me, and I want to live my life for him, and I want to live all of my life for him, and I want to go where he leads, and I want to do what he says, and I want to be what he wants. And I want that. I want to be like a radical. I don't want to be a tame Christian. I want to be a radical Christian in our time. And I want to believe that in the community that I'm with, that many people feel the way that I feel. And most of the people feel, or maybe all the people feel the way I feel, that this is what I want to be. And this is what I want to do. And... Um, but anyway, so like when I get up here and yap my yapper like I do, you know, I, I'm going to tell you a little, a little secret about myself. Whenever I'm talking to you about things that are on my heart, like from the scriptures, I don't know if you know this, but I'm always, I'm really only talking to me because I'm a person who struggles a lot. I have a lot of problems and I have to tell myself things and I think maybe you're not as weird as you think you are and maybe more people go through the same stuff and somebody's gonna get something out of this. But whatever I'm trying to do to you, whatever I'm trying to do for you, I'm trying to do it to me. I'm trying to do it for me. And to be like a radical follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, a student of Jesus, I want to learn his ways. Like I don't, if I'm a student, the word disciple means student. If I'm a student, that means I don't know. I don't know the ways of Jesus. We don't know the ways of Jesus. I mean, if you like read 
we don't naturally know them. If you, like, if you had never read the New Testament ever in your life, and you go to Luke 15, you read the story of a kid who told his dad, I wish I could have my inheritance, which is another way of saying, I wish you were dead. My life would be better if you were dead. And he took all that money and he wasted it and made a big mess of a shame of it all. And it was just horrible. And he decided, and if you're, if, if I told you, put your thumb on verse 20. Okay, so then he decided to go home. Oh, I'm going to die if I stay here. I'm just going to go home. So he goes home and his dad saw him. What did he do? It's under your thumb. If you look it up and read, it will not be what you think. In Mark chapter one, Jesus healed a lot of people. Like if you put your thumb on verse 38, Jesus healed a lot of people and the disciples said, and there were a lot of crowds coming and this was the time that he was really gonna really start his movement. There were a lot of crowds there and the disciples found him and said, there's a lot of people here. What did Jesus do? It's under your thumb. If you look it up and read, it will not be what you think. There's a place in chapter three where there were a lot of people following Jesus and he was in a house and it was packed with people and somebody came, and in verse 32, there was, a t there was um, somebody came in and said, your mother's outside. What did he do? It's like under your thumb, if you pick it up, it will not be what you think. So like the gospels, like the gospel of Mark, for example, what it is, it's what we call a narrative. It's, um, so Mark was written Mark was written to the Christians who lived in the city of Rome, to all those Italians. They already had the letter that Paul wrote to them where he gave them an explanation of the evangel. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus. He said, all of sin falls short of the glory of God, but they're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation through faith in his blood. If you believe in his blood, if you put your faith in his blood, you'll have a new start, complete new start. Well, the Gospel of Mark was written afterwards to those same people, and it starts out by saying this is the beginning of the evangel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the narrative. This is how you got this. This is how you got the new life you have. Look at Jesus, Jesus the Christ, he says, and just watch him. Watch what he did for you. Watch, the, watch him. Watch the way he is. And you start to read that narrative and you find out it's not long before he's touching lepers and loving sinners and welcoming foreigners and healing the broken and raising the dead and removing shame. And then in chapter 8, Peter said, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? Who do you say? And Peter said, you're the Messiah. You are the Messiah. He had known that for two and a half years. He, he, in John chapter 1, it said that Peter knew that Jesus was the Messiah the very first day he met. But I think that what he was saying was, I knew you were the Messiah, but I never dreamed that the Messiah would be you. I never dreamed that the Messiah would be like you. I never dreamed that the Messiah would be a leper-touching, sinner-loving, foreigner-welcoming, broken-healing, dead-raising, shame-removing king. So that's what I want to do. I want to learn his ways, and I want to listen to his words. I want the words of Jesus 
to be the words that echo in my mind, that echo in my heart. There's a place in Psalm 1 where it said, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates. It's a word that means he growls over it. He coos over it. He just, he thinks about it day and night. And one scholar said when Paul talks about the law of Christ, what he means is the words of Jesus have taken that place for me. I delight in the words of Jesus. I think about them day and night. There's a place in the second letter of John in verse 9. It says, if anybody doesn't live in the teachings of Jesus, abide in them. Just they don't have God. There's a story Jesus told about two houses and one was on a foundation and the other was just on the sand and they looked great. But when a storm came, the one that was on the sand fell down and you ask people, what's the difference between them? And, and people will say, oh, well, one person had Jesus and the other didn't, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, the house that stood was the person who has my words and does them. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 that we're supposed to dis make disciples of everyone, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded. I counted them one day. In Matthew, there are 186 things that Jesus said we're supposed to do. In Mark, there's 101. In Luke, there's 167 commands that Jesus gave. And in John, there's 83. But it's all, most of it is stuff like Repent and believe the good news. Um, go in peace. Don't be afraid. Take courage. Believe in me. Abide in me. Love, love like me. But if I'm going to let those words, like the words of Jesus, be what makes me who I am, be what makes my heart the way it is, makes my thinking the way it is, because I think about his words and his teachings. And if you're gonna be a radical Christian, I think you have to do that. And if there was one, if there was one thing, I'm gonna, but if there was one thing, if I had any influence over anyone, and I could coach anybody in anything, and anybody were to be ever listen to me, if I could ask someone, if I could tell someone, if you really wanna grow in that, and getting the narrative in your heart, and getting the words of Jesus into your heart, I would ask you, will you do me one favor? If you watch cable news, will you stop watching it? Because, and the reason is because I've never seen it before. I've never, except in airports and stuff. I don't want to because I don't want a narrative in my heart except the narrative of Jesus. But the thing about cable news is, I'll just say it, it's not news, it's a narrative. It's a comprehensive explanation of all things. The reason we have these problems are this. The, the solution is this. If you look, go to the left, it's the problems are this, and the solution is this. If you go to the right, the problems are this, the solution is this. It's comprehensive. It explains all reality to you, and it divides people into the good people and the bad people, the right people and the wrong people, and it's usually about winning a fight. The narrative of Jesus is completely different. It is not a comprehensive explanation of all reality. Like if, like if you believe the evangel, the good news of Jesus, you're going to go th through things that you cannot explain in any way. If God loves me, if Jesus died for me, if he has a plan for my life, why is this happening to me? The gospel will not explain it to you. You have to just believe. You have to believe in the spite of the fact that nothing in your life makes sense. I believe God loves me. I believe he knows what he's doing. I'm just gonna believe that. The narrative of Jesus doesn't divide the world into good people and bad people, the right people and the wrong people. It divides the world into the bad people and the savior. And, uh, 
And he died for me. He died for us bad people. That's how I know God loves me. When I'm going through an incomprehensible thing. And the narrative of Jesus is not a narrative about winning a fight. It's a narrative about winning hearts. I'm not fighting anyone. I'm not trying to win a fight. I'm trying to win hearts for the kingdom. When people talk about fighting for Christian values or when people talk about fighting for the rights of Christians, I know immediately that they don't understand how the kingdom of God works and how the kingdom of God grows. And I would ask people like, because I, I just, I would ask people, I would, I would feel like if I could ask you, would you stop watching cable news for seven weeks? And would you spend 40 minutes a day besides your other Bible reading, reading the Gospels, starting in Matthew, and read the Gospels for 40 minutes consecutively, 40 minutes a day for seven weeks. And I guarantee you, at the end of seven weeks, you will think differently, you will feel differently, your relationships will be better. And if a person says, I'm not going to do it, I can't, I, I can't do it, I think a person needs to ask themselves, why can't you stop this? If it's not good for you, why can't you stop? And sometimes I feel like I can't compete with it. There's a, I've had times, can I tell you all something? I'm ashamed of this, but I have had times. I feel like my job is to, is to tell you, this is what I think Jesus is telling us. This is what I think the scriptures are telling. This is what I think the way of Jesus is. The best I can understand as honestly as I can possibly be in my own heart. This is what I think the words of Jesus mean in the world in which we live, in the society in which we live. I'm trying to understand it for myself, and I promise you that I would only tell it to you, like, because I really, really, really do believe that this is what the ways of Jesus and the words of Jesus say. And I've had times when I've been afraid to do it because I knew, I, don't, I just have felt afraid, afraid to tell you honestly this is what Jesus says about this thing. And I feel like I'm 67. I can't live like this anymore. I can't be afraid to tell you. I don't want to be afraid to tell you anymore. This is what it says. And, we're, and I'm calling us to be radical Christians in our time. Let's do this thing. I want to love, learn the ways of Jesus. I want to learn the words of Jesus. And I want to live the will of Jesus for me. I want to get out there. I think he's calling us out there. I think he's calling us out there to people who are different, to people who are not like us, to people who are in trouble, to people who need the love of Jesus. I think God is calling his people out there. We need to get out there and love people. We do. I mean, but if you do, and if I do, like, I think love people who are foreign, love people who are, I always feel like if you look for people who are sick, lonely, or in trouble, you're going to find somebody that needs the love of Jesus. And he calls us to them. And I want to go. I, I want to do this. I want to do it. And I want to encourage everybody, ask Jesus what he wants you to do and go. Do, do it. He'll take you places that he would never take me. You know, one time I had a young kid. 
in our church. He accepted Jesus. His parents threw him out of the house when he accepted Jesus. Um, he had done every drug in the world and done every other thing in the world. And then he accepted Jesus when he was 18, and his parents said, okay, no, you're done. You, you have to go. And he came to live with us, Paolo. And one time we were at Parco Lombardo on a Sunday afternoon, and we were preaching to heroin addicts, you know, and, and our people would kind of follow up with people who took the little booklet or whatever. So Paolo, he picked this guy who had just shot up. And I mean, the guy was so, he was, he was so blown. I mean, he was just stoned. And he, was, his, he couldn't barely stand up and his eyes were half masked. And I'm just watching Paolo and I'm like, Paolo, why don't you pick somebody that's a little bit more lucid? I mean, you know, it's kind of a waste of time. And he just started walking with this guy and helping him walk and just talking to him about Jesus. And he had the little booklet and they sat at a table, Paul, Paolo, he sat him down, and then he went and got two cups of coffee, and then he, um, and he was just talking to this guy about Jesus and reading the book to him and how he could accept Jesus. And the guy's eyes just closed, and his head just started going down. <sighs> and his head went down, and it was on the table. His head was on the table. And Paolo was down on one knee going through the book with him. And I'm like, Paolo, what do I have to tell you? How much do I have to teach you how to do this? And then he, he didn't know I was watching him, but he, when he left, he put the guy's the finger in the coffee and he leaned down and he kissed him. And I thought, I have so much to learn from you. Anyway, I'm done. That's what's on my heart. <laughs> when I survey the
Surely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Were the whole realm of nature mine That were a present far too small Christ died for us. 